Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, December 25th, 2010. Around the world I know that most people anyway are celebrating uh, Christmas, but um, to get my viewpoint, or should I say God's viewpoint, on what Christmas really is, please listen to the previous uh, Bible study that I created last week. It's called The Truth About Christmas. According to the National Retail Association, uh, they are predicting, uh, I saw on the news today on CNN with my wife, that uh, they're thinking that it's going to be $450 billion, $450 billion plus of sales this year related to Christmas. And uh, if you're expecting me uh, on this program to uh, do the uh, tour readings, um, I, I, because of this message that, I can, that I'm going to give, which I really believe is very important about sharing and giving, which is really the heart and soul of what God expects us to do, uh, hopefully I'll be able to do a tour reading next week um, unless God inspires me to talk about something else that's important to talk about based on what the Bible reveals, how mankind should act. Now, I read that statistic to you about the National Retail Association. That's a lot of money, $450 billion. That's all related to Christmas because of the Christmas holiday. Now, it will only take $20 billion, that's with A-B, $20 billion per year to eliminate poverty in the United States. And this is something that... Uh, John Edwards, the former presidential candidate, uh, has stressed over and over and over again. Now, according to the FeedingAmerica.org website, in 2009, 43.6 million people, that's 14.3% of the population of this country, which is uh, over 300 million right now, were in poverty. In 2009, 8.8 or 11.1% million families were in poverty. That's a lot. In 2009, 24.7 million, 12.9% of people aged 18 to 64 were in poverty. In 2009, 15.5 million, 20.7% children under the age of 18 were in poverty. In 2009, 3.4 million, 8.9% seniors 65 and older were in poverty. I'm stating these facts because I want you to understand the truth of what's really going on, not, on, not only in this country, but worldwide as far as the oppression of the poor. Uh, hunger statistics and Christmas has not changed that, ladies and gentlemen. 
Hunger statistics on food insecurity and very low food security. In 2009, 50.2 million Americans lived in food insecure households, 33 million adults and 17.2 million children. In 2009, 14.7% of households, 17.4 million households were food insecure. In 2009, 5.7% of households, 6.8 million households experienced very, very low food security. In 2009, households with children reported food insecurity at almost double the rate for those without children, 21.3% compared to 11.4%. In 2009, households that had higher rates of food insecurity than the national average included households with children, which is 21.3%, especially households with children headed by single women, 36.6%, or single men, 27.8%. Black, non-Hispanic households, 24.9%, and Hispanic households, 26.9%. And in 2009, 7.8% of seniors living alone, 884,000 households were food insecure. Again, Christmas does not change that. I am aware, and I will conclude this Bible study with a very inspiring and um, very, uh, it really gets cuts to the core of what Christianity and, and giving is all about. And this guy, uh, he celebrates Christmas. Uh, he probably wasn't told that what I know and what very few people know about Christmas, but he's doing the best he can, and God won't hold that against him. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm quite aware that there are some people that do give. They understand what Christmas should be about is giving and giving to the poor, giving to people that's less fortunate. But uh, as I read those figures to you uh, in the opening of this program, <laughs> the majority of people are not giving to the poor. What they're doing is giving, as I covered in, in the previous program, they're giving to their families and they're giving to people uh, that give to them as far as clothes and so forth. But it's, it's not really food uh, that they give or they're not taking care of the poor or helping the poor. Very few people do that on Christmas or any other day, for that matter. But anyway, to eliminate worldwide poverty, it will cost only $47.3 billion a year. This is according to the State of the World 2004 Consumption by the Numbers. And this is by the World Watch Institute. You can go to their website, Google it, and Google State of the World 2004 to get this information. So a total, if you combine the uh, $20 billion a year that's to eliminate poverty in the United States, and you combine the $47.3 billion for the rest of the world, that's a total of $67.3 billion, which would be $67.3 billion per year will provide the following. Reproductive health care for everyone. Elimination of hunger and malnutrition for everyone. Universal literacy. Clean drinking water for all and immunizing every child or, or proper medication for a child. That's what the $67.3 billion would do each and every year. And just on our Christmas spending, and I can I can talk about other spending, like our military spending and our spending on NASA and all that. We Americans can help people around the world and in this country eliminate poverty if we have the desire, which unfortunately, based on, on the statistics, we don't have the desire or the will to do it collectively as a whole. I'm not saying that everyone is like this, but the majority, unfortunately, are. And the reason why I can confidently say that because... Is poverty being eliminated in this country? Is it being eliminated worldwide? Of course not. That's why I can say that. All right. Annually, we spend billions of dollars on the following luxuries. Luxuries are things that we don't need. I know many of us probably deceive ourselves that we do need the following, but we really don't. Uh, makeup, 
We spend $18 billion a year. This is all according to the State of the World 2004 Consumption by the Numbers by the Worldwide or the World Watch Institute. Uh, this information is by the World Watch Institute. The name of the report is the State of the World 2004 Consumption by the Numbers. Now, as I stated before, annually we spend billions of dollars in the following luxuries. Luxuries are things that we don't need, even though some people deceive themselves into thinking that they do need the following. Uh, makeup, $18 billion a year. Perfumes, $15 billion a year. Ocean cruises, $14 billion, $14 billion a year for ocean cruises. And ice cream in Europe, ice cream in Europe, $11 billion a year. This is a total of $58 billion on luxuries. Now, what we spend on luxuries is, is um, almost, well, I shouldn't say almost, $9 billion less than the needs of the entire world, including the United States. But that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money just on, on luxuries. And, of course, let's not forget about the, the money that uh, most Americans spend on Christmas. A total of four hundred and fifty billion dollars this year. That's what would be by the um, National Retail Association. So, according to the World Share of Consumption by the World Bank Development Indicators 2008. So, this is by the World Bank Development Indicators 2008. Just Google that, and you'll be able to find this information. The world's richest twenty percent consumes seventy-six point six percent of the world's resources. The world's middle sixty percent consume 21.9, and the world's poorest 20% consume only 1.5. Let me underscore that. The world's poorest 20% consume only 1.5% of the world's resources, or uh, that's what they consume as far as what they can get. All right? Now, there's something else that's uh, based on this country, uh, I need to read this to you because you, you, you more than likely are not going to get this information on CNN or the other media outlets that are controlled by the, the Council of Foreign Relations. But uh, right here, the State of Working America preview. And I implore each and every one of you that are listening to me to go to this website. It's www.e as in elephant, p as in paul, i as in it.org, and review this article while it's still up on their website. It's State of State of Working America Preview, The Rich Get Richer. This was uh, written December 22, 2010. It says, America's wealthiest households in 2009 had net worth that was 225, 225 times greater than the medium or the median family net worth. As the figure from EPI's forecoming State of Working America uh, website shows, that ratio between those at the top and everyone else reached a record high in 2009. That's sad. That's really sad. And uh, it just shows a graph here, and it says, The Great Recession pushes wealth gap between typical and wealthiest households to record high. The ratio of the wealthiest 1% to median wealth in the United States. That's sad. It's really sad. And it says right here, Wealth or net worth is a measure of a family's total assets, in other words, what someone has, including real estate, bank account balances, stock holdings, and retirement funds, minus all their liabilities such as mortgages, student loans, and credit card debt. Although economic inequality is often described in terms of income inequality, the distribution of wealth is actually more unequal than the distribution of wages and income. In other words, what people got is even more unequal than, than uh, what people uh, produce as far as wages and income. And while wages and income provide some indication of a family's ability to afford essentials like housing, food, and health care, 
accumulated assets or wealth can make it easier for them to invest in education and training, start a business, fund a retirement, and otherwise invest in their future. Since accumulated assets also provide a cushion against job loss and other financial emergencies, this growing wealth disparity shows why why some households are more devastated by unemployment, illness, and other factors that cause a temporary loss of income. So this this is this is in the richest country in the world for us to have this gap. We have the widest gap of any country in the world, and, and we are the richest. And it's no excuse at all for that, ladies and gentlemen, other than the fact that, unfortunately, a lot of these rich folks are just plain stingy. And I'm going to get into that today. And... The statistics that I just read you only confirms the following. In Proverbs chapter 30, I'm going to read this in the, I found me another version. It's called the easy-to-read version, and it's really good. Uh, It makes the the words of the Bible very clear in English instead of that old King James uh, English. So I'm going to try to use this from time to time uh, for clarity's sake. So I'm just letting you know. It's called the... uh, the the easy to read version of the Bible, the easy to read version, or the E R E as an elephant, R as an rat, B as in Valentine. Okay, so Proverbs thirty, Proverbs thirty, uh, starting in verse uh, fourteen in the easy to read version of the Bible. It says there are people whose teeth, and the King James version says there's a generation, but right here it says there are people whose teeth are like sores and their jaws like knives. They take everything they can from the poor. Now, is there any doubt that this scripture is definitely prophetic and is referring to our times today? And verse 15 says, Greedy people know only two things. Give me. Give me. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting that that scripture is linked with the other one, but it says, There are people whose teeth are like sores and their jaws like knives. They take everything they can from the poor. Greedy people know only two things. Give me and give me. And that's all they care about. All they think about. Give me. Give me. Give me. Give me. You know, not give, not 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 uh, give me. They don't give to other people. They're only concerned about themselves. Give me, give me, and they, and that's how greedy people act. I want this, I want that. Give, 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 give me. That they're not thinking about anyone else but themselves, and that's not God's way. Uh, Psalm eighty-two verses three to five. Psalm eighty-two verses three to five. It says, "Defend the poor and orphans." Protect the rights of the poor. And this is in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Defend the poor and orphans. Protect the rights of the poor. And I read those statistics to you. The rights of the poor, many of them aren't being protected. Verse 4, help those who are poor and helpless. Save them from those who are evil, because poor people are are taken advantage of. Verse 5, they don't know what's happening. He's talking about the people in the world. They don't understand. They don't know what they are doing. Their world is falling down around them. And that's what's happening right now. Our, uh, this world is falling apart. The fabric of society is falling apart, just like Obama and all of them smiling uh, last week because he signed into law that people in the military can just be proud of being gay. And... <laughs> Again, you know, I, I love gay people, and I'm not judging them, but I'm just telling you what God says in his word is in the Bible, folks. He does not, uh, he does not um, approve of gay people's behavior. He loves gay people, but he doesn't like what they're doing. 
And, you know, that's not a Bible study in itself, but but that's easily proven. Just, just look up what God states in his word about it. Uh, it's, it's in Leviticus chapter 18. It's all over the place. In Romans chapter 1, uh, he, he definitely tells you that that is a sin. And common sense should tell you that that's a sin. Um, that the woman's ovum or egg must unite with a sperm to produce a human being. And Jesus Christ stated that a marriage is between a man and a woman in Matthew chapter 19. So this is easily proven. It's just that we as human beings, we we like to, to think our own way and do our own thing, and we can't do that. Anyway, that's another Bible study in itself. I'm just giving an example of how our country and and it's falling apart. And I'm I'm sure that there's a great probability now that this administration will play a significant role in allowing same-sex marriage. And when that happens, <laughs> this country is probably going to be cursed like it never has before. But anyway, let's talk about giving and sharing. That's what this Bible study is about. What is giving? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm still reading in the easy-to-read version, which is pretty interesting version for a Bible. But anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 40. says, if anyone wants to sue you in court and take your shirt, let him have your coat too. Now, most people won't do that, but this is what our Lord and Savior commands us to do. Verse 41, if a soldier forces you to walk with him one mile, go with him too. So, in other words, hey, work as hard as you can. If he, if he asks you to do something extra or other than what he said, go ahead and do it. Most of us wouldn't do that. Verse 42, give to anyone who asks you for something. Now, of course, this is talking about within reason. Uh, if someone asks you to do something uh, that would be wrong and evil, of course you don't do it. He's talking about, of course, something that's good. Don't refuse to give to anyone who wants to borrow from you. He says, you have, said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that, when he states that, he's talking about the oral traditions that the, the rabbis back then had uh, created. That wasn't in the Bible because you can never can see this. This this one, uh, what he stated here, Jesus, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy, is not found in the Bible. That's something that they had said orally. That was their tradition. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who treat you badly. And he states here in verse 45, if you do this, you will be the children who are truly like your Father in heaven. He lets the sun rise for all people, whether they are good or bad. So he, he provides... Blessings for evil people as well as good people. That's what it states here. He sends rain to those who do right and to those who do wrong. That's what he does. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, which that's that's what Christmas is all about, right? You only give gifts to people who give gifts uh, to you. I stopped celebrating Christmas many years ago. I don't receive not one gift from anyone. That's just the way it is. That's the spirit of Christmas. In most cases, if you love only those who love you, why should you get a reward for that? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you are nice only to your friends, 
you are no better than anyone else. Even the people who don't know God are nice to their friends. What I'm saying is that you must be perfect or complete, just as your Father in heaven is perfect or complete. And that's what our Lord and Savior says. In Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, but I say to you people who are listening to me, and, and I hope that you are listening to me through Yeshua's words here that I'm reading, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. So we're supposed to do good to those who hate you. And I get uh, wives that are upset about their husbands. And <laughs> this applies to that situation, too. If, if, if your husband says something or does something wrong, you shouldn't hate them. You should still do good to them. If he's telling you to do good to somebody who's not close to you, how much more should you do it to someone who is? Anyway, verse 28 of Luke chapter 6. Ask God to bless the people who ask for bad things to happen to you. Pray for the people who are mean to you. Okay, wives, if your husband are mean, pray for them. And still do good uh, to them. And help them long as it's reasonable. Verse 29, if someone hits you on the side of your face, let him hit the other side too. In other words, tolerate as much as you can. He's not telling you to be a battering ram, but he's telling you to tolerate as much as you can. Don't be don't be so uh, anxious to retaliate. If someone takes your coat, don't stop them from taking your shirt too. Verse 30 of Luke chapter 6, give to everyone who asks for you something. Give to everyone who asks you for something. When someone takes something that is yours, don't ask for it back. Now, this is something that I know most people don't do. This is true Christianity, folks. Verse 31, do for others what you want them to do for you. If you love only those who love you, should you get any special praise for doing that? No, even sinners love those who love them. So what he's saying is that you're going to get special praise for loving people that don't love you. You're going to get special praise for doing things for evil people. And you know they don't appreciate it. Verse 33, if you do good only to those who do good to you, should you get any special praise for doing that? No, even sinners do that. If you lend things to people, always expecting to get something back, should you get any special praise for that? No, even sinners lend to other sinners so that they can get back the same amount. Verse 35, I'm telling you to love your enemies and do good to them. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to people without expecting to get anything back. If you do this, you will have a great reward. You will be the children of the Most High God. Yes, because God is good even to the people who are full of sin and not thankful. Verse 36, give love and mercy the same as your Father gives love and mercy. And that's from my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Messiah. These are undeniable uh, scriptures that, in, in any translation, is pretty much the same. And I am just want to really stress the importance of sharing and giving. It's the heart of what Christianity is all about, folks. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, the, it's really the heart of what being a believer is all about. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 12. 
Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Then Jesus said to the Pharisee who had invited him, When you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite only your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. At another time, they will pay you back by inviting you to eat with them. Instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, and the blind. Then you will have great blessings, because these people cannot pay you back. They have nothing, but God will reward you at the time when all godly people rise from the dead. And I guarantee you, matter of fact, I know that the majority of people that are having their little Christmas dinners right now are not inviting uh, people they don't know. They're not inviting the poor, the crippled, and the blind. (laughs) They're inviting their friends, their brothers, their relatives, and rich neighbors for Christmas dinner. Anyway, let's continue on here. What is sharing? What is sharing? According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary online, you can look this up online, Google it, to partake of, use, experience, occupy, or enjoy with others. I like the enjoy with others because we all should enjoy our possessions with others. We're all a family. We are all God's children. And I think, matter of fact, I know that all of us from time to time forget that, that we all come from one blood. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Let's look at what Paul told the, the Grecians or the Greek people. Uh, Acts 17, verse 22, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Then Paul stood up before the meeting of Arabicus consul and said, Men of Athens, everything I see here tells me you are very religious. He is the God who made the whole world and everything in it. He is the Lord of the land and the sky. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is the one who gives people life, breath, and everything else they need. He does not need any help from them. He has everything he needs. God began by making one man, and from him, from that man who was Adam, he made all the different people who live everywhere in the world. He decided exactly when and where they would live. God wanted people to look for him, and perhaps in searching all around for him, they would find him, but he is not far from any of us. It is through him that we are able to live, to do what we do, and to be who we are. As your own poets have said, we all come from him. That's right. We all come from God, so you must not think that he is like something people imagine or make. He is not made of gold, silver, or stone. Verse 30, in the past, people did not understand God, and he overlooked this. But now he is telling everyone in the world to change and turn to him. Okay, so if you are listening to me today, he wants you to understand him. And he wants you to change and start to to understand his words. That's in the Bible. So in the King James Version, he states that we are all uh, his children. Verse 29 says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we are all the offspring of God. That's what we are. We are all related to each other. And I I know that that's something that 
we uh, forget. Okay, so sharing, we, we should share, humankind should share their possessions with other humans, okay? And that's an example, an example of giving. Uh, let's see some other examples, uh, or actually an example by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 7 to 11. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, in the English, uh, not in the English, but the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Got one hour and one minute left. Plenty of time here. It says, When you are living in a land the Lord your God is giving you, there might be some poor people living among you. You must not be selfish. You must not be selfish. You must not refuse to give help to them. You must be willing to share with them. You must lend them whatever they need. Verse 9, don't ever refuse to help someone simply because the seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near. Don't let an evil thought like that enter your mind. You must never have bad thoughts about someone who needs help. You must not refuse to help them. If you don't help the poor, they might complain to the Lord, and he will judge you guilty of sin. Verse 10, so be sure to give to the poor. Don't hesitate to give to them, because the Lord your God will bless you for doing this good thing. He will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy 15 in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. There will always be poor people in the land. That is why I command you to be ready to help your brother or sister. Give to the poor in your land who need help. And we are all brothers and sisters of one another, ladies and gentlemen. We all come from one blood. We all have one physical father and mother. And that's Adam and Eve. Okay. Um, Numbers chapter 10, starting at verse 29. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, Hobad was the son of Reuel, the Midianite, and that was another name for um, Moses' um, father-in-law. Because it says Ruel was mother's father-in-law, so he must have had another name. His other name started with a J. And then Moses said to Hobat, We are traveling to the land that the Lord promised to give to us. Come with us, and we will be good to you. The Lord has promised good things to the Israelites. Numbers 10, verse 30, but Hobat, Hobab, rather, H-O-B-A-B. Hobab answered, no, I will not go with you. I will go back to my homeland and to my own people. And then Numbers 10, verse 31, then Moses said, please don't leave us. You know more about the desert than we do. You can be our guide. Verse 32, and if you come with us, we will share with you. Thank you. Look at that. We will share with you all the good things that the Lord gives us. So Moses understood what sharing was all about, and and this was somebody who wasn't an Israelite, which is a pretty good example. And, you know, Moses was humble, and he was a very loving person, and he cared about people, all people. And then we should as well. An example of sharing by John the Baptist. Let's turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And when you're married, how much more should, should each of you share your possessions and care about one another? You're interdependent upon one another. You're not... 
you're not uh, independent of one another. You're interdependent. And many people that have marriage problems forget that. It's either the wife not understanding that or the husband or both not understanding that. Uh, Luke chapter 3. Verse 7. Luke 3, verse 7, an easy-to-read version of the Bible. Crowds of people came to be baptized by John, but he said to them, You are all snakes. Who warned you to run from God's judgment that is coming? Change your hearts or your minds, and show by your lives that you have changed. Not, you know, don't, don't give lip service. You have to show by what you do. That's how people can see that you've changed. I know what you are about to say. But Abraham is our father. That means nothing. I tell you that God can make children for Abraham from these rocks. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 10 of Luke chapter 3, the people asked John, What should we do? He answered, If you have two shirts, here we go again, giving, share with someone who does not have one. If you have food, share that too. Now, this is a message of Christ stated that he was a type of Elijah that, that Matthew chapter 4 talks about, even though there's going to be another one coming. And this is the heart of this particular Elijah's message, John the Baptist, that you should share and give to your fellow human being. If you have it to give, you should share it. If you have two shirts, share with someone who does not have one. If you have food, share that too. In Luke 3, verse 11, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. And God stated that this message wasn't preached. The message of this Elijah wasn't preached, that the whole world would be destroyed in Malachi chapter 4. That's what it states. And please listen to the audio version of Malachi chapter 4 at the end of this program. I play it at the end of this program and all other programs. I mean, I will play it at the end of this program, and it's always, it's always played at the end of each program. That's what I was trying to say. Let me drink some water. I'll be right back. Okay. Now, let's look at the many examples here in the Bible. I'm going to try to go over this as quick as I can. An example of the first century assembly, how they gave and shared their possessions and, and their time with other people. Because they are a very good example. Let's start with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. The believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. In Acts 2, verse 42, they shared everything with each other. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, they shared everything with each other. If this is with people who are not married with each other, okay, uh, and so forth, then how much more should a husband and wife share everything with each other? They ate together and prayed together. Verse 43, many wonders and miraculous signs were happening through the apostles, and everyone felt great respect for God. Verse 44, all the believers stayed together and shared everything. Verse 45, they sold their land and the things they owned, then they divided the money and gave it to those who needed it. The believers shared a common purpose. And every day they spent much of their time together in the temple area. They also ate together in their homes. They were happy, not sad, they were happy to share their food 
and ate with joyful hearts. So that's the way people in the first century acted, the, the first century Jewish church, basically. Acts 4, verse 32. Acts 4, verse 32. The whole group of believers was united in their thinking and in what they wanted. If this is a group of believers being united, how much more so should a husband and wife be united in their thinking and what they want? None of them said that the things they had were their own. Instead, they shared everything. This applies to a husband and wife relationship. Verse 33 of Acts 4. With great power, the apostles were making, and the reason why I say that, this is, it would be outright ridiculous for God to inspire uh, Luke to put this in here and state that this is the way the believers were acting <laughs> and say, okay, well, it's different for a husband and wife. A husband and wife believers should act the same way as these group of believers, and they should have the same sentiment or feeling. None of them said that the things that they had were their own. Instead, they shared everything. Verse 33, where great power the apostles were making it known to everyone that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, and God blessed all the believers very much. Verse 34, none of them could say they needed anything. Everyone who owned fields or houses sold them. They bought the money they got and gave it to the apostles. Then everyone was given whatever they needed, not what they wanted, what they needed. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 4, one of the believers was named Joseph. The apostles called him Barnabas a name that means one who encourages others. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. Verse 37 of Acts 4, Joseph sold a field he owned. He bought the money and gave it to the apostles. So these people back in the first century understood what it was all about. And the Bible does state that the apostles are the, a part of the foundation of the assembly. So we should follow their example. Acts 20, verse 35. Acts 20, verse 35. An easy-to-read version of the Actually, let me go back up here. Acts 20, verse 33 of the easy-to-read version. When I was with you, I never wanted anyone's money or fine clothes. Verse 34, you know that I always worked to take care of my own needs and the needs of the people who were with me. Verse 35, I always showed you that you should work just as I did and help people who are weak. I taught you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. You will have a greater blessing when you give than when you receive. And that's the example that we should follow there. It's more blessed to give than, than to receive. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, verse 28 states this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. I will let you know if I don't read in the easy-to-read version of the Bible until... Further notice, I'm reading in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Whoever has been stealing must stop it and start working. They must use their hands for doing something good. Then they will have something to share with those who are poor. That's the reason why we work, folks, not for ourselves, not for our little selfish interests, but we, we work to help those who are poor, those who are in need. Okay? That's why we work. And wives, if you're working and your husband is struggling and doing the best he can and getting an education 
and and he's showing that he's doing all he can to help himself, you should help him. Don't be stingy with the money that you make on your job. That's your setting when you do that. It's different if the husband's not doing anything. He's laying around, not working, not contributing, not doing anything. Uh, then, yeah, you shouldn't help him. But if your husband is doing all he can to help, you should help him. You should help him. That's the, that's the, the right thing to do. And the same thing if uh, you husbands have a wife uh, that uh, is struggling and she needs to work or she's doing some other things and she's doing all she can. You should help her. But if she wants to be lazy, laying around, not doing nothing, uh, then, yeah, it, it, w- it would not be to her benefit. It's not showing her uh, or anyone, for that matter, not showing them that there's consequences for being lazy and not wanting to work and not wanting to contribute and cooperate. So anyway, First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Open your homes to each other and share your food without complaining. And that, I like it without complaining. Okay, First Peter 4, verse 9. Open your homes to each other and share your food without complaining. This is what the first century church, again, was taught. To share and give to everyone, whether they're husbands and wives or whatever. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6 to 10. Whoever is being taught God's word should share the good things they have with the one who is teaching them. And this applies definitely to a husband and wife situation. The husband is supposed to teach the wife. And if the husband is teaching the wife, then that wife should share the good things that she has with the one who is teaching her, which is her husband. Verse 7, if you think you can fool God, you are only fooling yourselves. You will harvest what you plant. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the harvest you will get from that will be eternal death. Let me underscore that. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the harvest you will get from that will be eternal death. That's not what life's about, is yourself and I and what I want. But if you live to please the Spirit, your harvest from the Spirit will be eternal life. Verse 9. We must not get tired of doing good. I've heard that from people. Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. No, you can't be tired of doing good. What if God was tired of doing good? What if God was tired of of giving us rain for food and giving us other blessings? What if he was tired of that? Then none of us would be alive. So we must not be tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. We must not give up. When we had the opportunity to do good to anyone, not just believers, but to anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And a husband and wife are are both, if they're keeping the law of God, they're believers, and they should definitely help one another and shouldn't be stingy about the money that they generate from the jobs and put it in the pool to help the entire family. It's not, oh, I have my separate account and you have your separate account. That's, that's 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 not scriptural. That's not being one flesh, as the Bible says a husband and wife is. Uh, that's being separate. That's being independent. It's not being interdependent. 
When you have a marriage relationship, it's interdependent, meaning that you both depend on one another. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Second Corinthians chapter eight, starting in verse eleven. So now, finish the work you started, then your doing will be equal to your wanting to do. Give from what you have. If you want to give, your gift will be accepted. Your gift will be judged by what you have, not by what you don't have. We don't want you to have troubles while others are comforted. We want everything to be equal. And God, that's what he wants. He wants an equilibrium here. Verse 14, at this time you have plenty and can provide what they need. Then later, when they have plenty, they can provide what you need then everyone will have an equal share. And in a marriage, it should be an equal share. It shouldn't be the husband has more than the wife or the wife has more than the husband. It should be all an equal share. And that's the same it should be with a husband and wife and in a church assembly or an assembly. That's what church means. Uh, in an assembly of believers, everyone should have an equal share. Verse 15 of Second Corinthians chapter 8, as the scriptures say, those who gathered much did not have too much, and those who gathered little did not have too little. All right? And that's the way it should be. The world should be that way, and unfortunately it's not, as I read to you in the opening of this program. But it will be one day. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this, the one who plants few seeds will have a small harvest. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, the one who plants few seeds will have a small harvest. In other words, someone being stingy. But the one who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Verse 7, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. You should not give if it makes you unhappy or if, it, or if you feel forced to give. You shouldn't. God loves those who are happy to give. You should be happy to give. You shouldn't be forced to give. And, you know, it, God doesn't he doesn't really appreciate that if you just give because, you know, you have to. You know, you should give because you want to. Second uh, Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God can give you more blessings than you need, and you will always have plenty of everything. You will have enough to give to every good work. And that's the reason why God would bless you, because you have the right attitude and you want to give to others. That's why he withholds a lot of blessings, too, because a lot of people are selfish, and, and they will use that money, and, as I'm going to show you, in James chapter 4, consuming upon their own lust. Anyway, verse 9. As the scriptures say, he gives generously to the poor. This is a righteous person, whether it's a woman or a man. He gives generously to the poor. His goodness will continue forever. Verse 10. God is the one who gives seed to those who plant, and he gives bread for food. And God will give you spiritual seed and make that seed grow. He will produce a great harvest from your goodness. God will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. If you want to have the desire to be rich, God wants you to have the desire to be rich so that you can give. You can give other people. And your giving through us will make people give thanks to God. The service you are offering helps God's people with their needs, but that is not all it does. It also it is also bringing more and more thanks to God. This service is a proof of your faith. And people will praise God because of it. They will praise God that you freely share 
what you have with them and with all people. Again, let me repeat this. They will praise God that you freely share what you have with them and with all people. They will praise him to see you following the good news about Christ that you openly accepted. Now, let me repeat that again. They will praise God that you freely share what you have with them and with all people. That all people includes your husband or wife. <laughs> okay? They will praise him to see you following the good news about Christ that you openly accepted. They will praise God because you freely share with them and with all people, including husbands or wives. Husbands and wives should share with one another. Verse 14, And when they pray, they will wish they could be with you. They will feel this way because of the great grace that God gave you. Thanks be to God for his gift that is too wonderful to, to describe. Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Tell those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, and tell them they should be happy to give and ready to share. And in verse 19, by doing this, they will be saving up a treasure for themselves, and that treasure will be a strong foundation on which their future life will be built. They will be able to have the life that is true life. So that's very important. And then in verse 17, it says, Give this command to those who are rich with the things of this world. Tell them not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God, not their money. Money cannot be trusted, but God takes care of us richly. He gives us everything to enjoy. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. says, we loved you very much, so we were happy to share God's good news with you. But not only that, we were also happy to share even our own lives with you. Again, that's what pure religion is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 27. Or, you know, religion is worship. James 1, verse 27, the worship that God wants is this. Caring for orphans or widows who need help, and that, of course, is referring also to people who need help in general, and keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. That's what it means, unspotted from the world. It means keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. That's the two major elements of worship of God. Number one, giving and caring about people that are, uh, are suffering. And examples of that is orphans and widows who need help. And keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. This is the kind of worship that God accepts as pure and good. Okay. And in uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Let me repeat that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, brothers and sisters never get tired of doing good. That's an example of a commandment out of the renewed covenant or New Testament. It really should be called a renewed covenant because uh, uh, God's agreement has never changed. It's the same. 
It just was completed in Christ's blood. Anyway, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. If you start getting tired of doing good, you're going to start having some serious issues with God and with everyone else. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Hebrews 13, verse 16. And don't forget to do good and to share what you have with others, because sacrifices like these are very pleasing to God. Now remember what the sacrifices represent. They represent, in addition to a figure, a type of Christ's sacrifice for all of mankind, it also represents the attitude of giving and sharing. That's how the people of Israel gave to God through their sacrifices. And for you to understand that, understand that God considered himself a husband to the nation of Israel, and if he was a husband to the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, the congregation of Israel, the assembly of Israel, was his wife. In Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3, Starting in verse 14. The Lord says, you people are unfaithful, but come back to me because I am your master. Okay? So, um, is it Jeremiah chapter... I'm trying to find a scripture where he says, I think it's chapter 2. Let me go back here. I hate when I do this. Jeremiah 3, yeah, I think it's chapter 2. Okay, let me look this up real quick. I jotted this wrong. Sorry about this. Yeah, this happens from time to time. I listen to Jeremiah, though. That was the same scripture, wasn't it? Let me see. Okay, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, unfortunately there's a bad translation there. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to have to go to the, yeah, married to you. Okay, yeah, that word married, it means to marry, and and, and the the easy-to-read version of the Bible has that translated uh, master. But this means married uh, by all. That's what it means. It says, Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So he stated that he was married to them, and I'm finding it, I'm trying to find out the scripture where he actually says that uh, he was their husband. So let me see. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 32. 
says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. That's in the King James Version. Also in, um, I think, the easy-to-read version, it has that as well. 32, let me look here. Oh, it says master. Okay. Well, it doesn't have a husband, but in the King James Version, it does have husband. It means husband in the original Hebrew. All right, Jeremiah 31, verse 32. Okay, uh, in Romans 8, verses 17 and 18, God is going to share everything with us. Okay, he's he's the He's the example of, of someone who understands what it means to give and share, and he's going to be a, in the ultimate example. He's going to share everything with us. Uh, in Romans, if we just behave ourselves, in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible again. It says, If we are God's children, we will get the blessings God has for his people. He will give us all that he has given Christ. He will give us all that he has given Christ. And I know the King James Version says joint heirs, same concept. But we must suffer like Christ suffered. Then we will be able to share his glory. We have sufferings now, but these are nothing compared to the great glory that will be given to us. So God is going to give us everything that, that Christ has. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. That's sharing. It's an example of sharing. Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. And I will continue to read in the easy-to-read version of the Bible unless I tell you otherwise. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. There we go again, uh, the figurative uh, image of offerings, what they really did represent. It represented giving and sharing to God. Considering what he has done, it is only right you should worship him in this way. Verse 2, don't change yourselves. And remember now, the, the assembly of Israel was God's wife, and he desired for his wife to give to him, <laughs> and rightfully so. A husband should desire his wife to give to him, to offer, give offerings to him or, or serve, uh, figuratively serve and give to her husband. And, and God desired that, and rightfully so, uh, for his wife to, to give to him. And, of course, God gave to his wife. It's reciprocal, back and forth. Anyway, considering what he has done, it is only right that you should worship him in this way. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. Don't change yourself to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. So if you let God change you, and one of the ways God will change how you think is by is by, is by you offering your lives as a living sacrifice. This goes hand in hand, verse 1 and verse 2. Then God will uh, give you the ability to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. 
That's very important to understand. First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twenty-five to twenty-six. Twenty-five to twenty-six. A lot of scriptures. I'm going to try to go through these as quick as I can here. Okay. First Corinthians chapter. I might have to do a part two of this if I can't get done here. So in First Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about the unity of the body of Christ, which is the church. Okay. And in verse 25. He says, God did this so that our body would not be divided. So God doesn't want his church, his assembly, to be divided. How much more so in a marriage? <laughs> and I'm stressing this marriage thing for a reason. I'm, I'm going to uh, show you that in a minute here. God did this so that our body would not be divided. God wanted the different parts to care the same for each other. So he wants the assembly to care for one another, to care for one another, all right? The same. Verse 26, if one part of the body suffers, then all the other parts suffer with it. Or if one part is honored, then all the other parts share its honor. Okay? Now, getting back to the marriage situation, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And this is interesting because this chapter begins in verse 1. It says, you are... God's dear children, so try to be like him. And in verse 2, live a life of love. Love others just as Christ loved us. He gave himself for us, sweet-smelling offering and a sacrifice to God. So the, the main theme of sacrifice, again, is there, which is really symbolic of serving and giving to your fellow human being and to God. Uh, Ephesians chapter um, 5, verse 21. It says, be willing to serve each other out of respect for Christ. So now he's breaking it down to wives and husbands. In verse 22, wives, be willing to serve your husbands the same as the Lord. Okay? The reason why I'm, I'm focusing on this scripture is because if you can envision how the wives of God, which was the assembly of Israel, served God, who was the husband, how did they serve them? Served them by giving offerings to him uh, of their possessions in addition to, of course, obeying him, which is also service. God expects the wives to treat their physical husbands like they would treat him. That is so clear. And then verse 23, a husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the Savior of the church, which is his body. The church serves under Christ. Now, we know Christ is God. He's a part of God. So it is the same with you wives. You should be willing to serve your husbands in everything. And... God expected the nation of Israel, who is his wife, to serve him in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives the same as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. He died to make the church holy. He used the telling of the good news to make the church clean by washing it with water. Christ died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church or the assembly could be holy and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other thing wrong with it. The Church of Christ is, is not separate from the Assembly of Israel, ladies and gentlemen. It's an extension of it, and that Assembly of Israel that Christ founded will clean up the Jews and all the rest of the tribes of Israel that aren't obeying God. And it will be one big assembly 
of Israel. Verse 28, and husbands should love their wives like that. They should love their wives as they love their own bodies. The man who loves his wife loves himself. Because no one ever hates his own body, but feeds and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. The scriptures say that is why a man will leave his father and mother and join his wife, and the two people will become as one. They're one. They're not two. They're not separate. They're not independent. They're interdependent. They're one. Verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5. That secret truth is very important. I am talking about Christ and the assembly, the assembly of Israel, the one that he founded, the one that will correct the uh, assembly of Israel that does not want to obey. That includes Jews or anyone else that's a part of it. And that's another Bible study in itself. But Ephesians 5, verse 33, But each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must, not maybe or uh, maybe one day and then the other day not, but it says, and a wife must respect her husband. Okay. Let's go to this. Find out, and this is probably going to yeah, this is going to probably be a part two because I don't think I'm going to get through with all this. Uh, what is stinginess? According to Merriam-Webster dictionary, it means being unwilling or showing unwillingness to share with others. So you don't you don't have the ability to want to share with other people. Well, you do have the ability. It's just that you're not motivated to do it. You don't want to. You don't want to share. It, it implies a, a marked lack of generosity. Example, a stingy child not given to sharing. And close, close, which is another word related to this, it means keeping a tight grip on one's money and, and possessions. That's being stingy. So let's look at some scriptures here, and it looks like uh, I may not get to these other scriptures. Uh, that's unfortunate, but I uh, have to get to it next week. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, because I wanted to get into uh, how eating too much will affect your attitude and everything else, but it uh, looks like I'm not going to be able to do that this week. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 19. It says, Don't save treasures for yourselves here on earth. Moths and rust will destroy them, and thieves can break into your house and steal them. Instead, save your treasures in heaven, where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust, and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is at. So wherever your treasure is at, that's where your mind will be at. That's, where you, that's what you focus on the most. Verse 22, the only source of life for the body is the eye. If you look at people and want to help them, you will be full of light. Let me repeat this. If you look at people and you desire to want to help them, you will be full of light. Verse 23, but if you look at people in a selfish way, you will be full of darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, you will have the worst kind of darkness. Verse 24, you cannot serve two masters at the same time, and many people try to do that. But you can't. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to one and not care about the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You can't. You can't. Verse 25, so I tell you, don't worry about the things you need to live, what you will eat, drink, or wear. Life is more important than food, and the body is more important than what you put on it. Look at the birds. They don't plant harvest or save food in barns, but your Heavenly Father feeds them. Don't you know 
you are worth much more than they are? You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the wildflowers in the field. See how they grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you that even Solomon, the great and rich king, was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. If God makes what grows in the field so beautiful, what do you think he will do for you? It's just grass. One day it's alive, and the next day someone throws it into a fire. But God cares enough to make it beautiful. Surely he will do much more for you. Your faith is so small. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry and say, what we, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Verse 32 of Matthew chapter 6. That's what those people who don't know God are always thinking about. So he's saying right here in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6 that people who don't know God um, always think about what they will eat, what they will drink, or what they will wear. They focus on that stuff too much. In verse 32, that's what those people who don't know God are always thinking about. Don't worry because your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, what you should want the most or what you should desire most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. That's what we all need to desire most of. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Then he will give you all those other things you need. Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 6. Don't, so don't worry about tomorrow. Now, notice he didn't say he will give you your wants. He said he will give you your need. I just want to underscore that. Matthew 6, verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Tomorrow will have his own worries. Okay. And another version of this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 to 21. Luke chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. So it's Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. Then Jesus said to them, Be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. People do not get life from the many things they own. Verse 16, or one's life does not consist of the things you possess. In Luke 12, verse 16, then Jesus used this story. There was a rich man who had some land. His land grew a very good crop of food. He thought to himself, What will I do? I have no place to keep all my crops. Then he said, I know what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I will put all my wheat and good things together in my new barns. And new barns can be interpreted today as bank accounts or savings accounts. Verse 19, then I can say to myself, I have many good things stored. I have saved enough for many years. Rest, eat, drink, retire. That's what they say today, retire, and enjoy life. In other words, don't care about nobody but my, myself or all I care about is myself. Verse 20, but God said to that man, foolish man, tonight you will die. So what about the things you prepared for your little self or yourself? Who would get those things now? Luke 12, verse 21. This is how it will be for anyone who saves things only for himself. To God, that person is not rich. Verse 22. Jesus said to his followers, so I tell you, don't worry about the things you need to live, what you will eat or what you will wear. Life is more important than food, and the body is more important than what you put on it. 
Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, or save food in houses or barns, but God feeds them, and you are worth much more than, than crows. None of you can add any time to your life by worrying about it. And if you can't do the little things, why worry about the big things? Think about how the wildflowers grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that even Solomon, the great and rich king, was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. If God makes the if God makes what grows in the field so beautiful, what do you think he will do for you? That's just grass. One day it's alive, and the next day someone throws it into the fire. But God cares enough to make it beautiful. Surely he will do much more for you. Your faith is so small. So don't always think about what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. That's what all those people who don't know God are always thinking about. But your Father knows that you need these things. What you should be thinking about is God's kingdom. Then he will give you all these other things you need. Very good advice from the, from the Master. All right. We must all learn, folks, to have patience. We have to have patience. If we don't have patience, we're going to really, really mess things up for ourselves and, and, and the other people that we live around. James chapter 1, or any people we come into contact. James chapter 1, starting at verse 2. My brothers and sisters, you will have many kinds of trouble. So a believer is going to have trouble. But this gives you a reason to be very happy. Verse 3, you know that when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. Verse 4 of James chapter 1, if you let that patience work in you, the end result will be good. You will be mature and complete. You will be all that God wants you to be. So we all must learn to be patient. And we also must learn to love ourselves so that we can learn to love others. Or we must learn to love ourselves so we can love other people. In Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 18, states this. It says, forget about the wrong things people do to you. Can you do that? It's tough for me, and I know it's tough for you, but we must do that. Forget about the wrong things people do to you. Don't try to get even. Many people try to do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, as yourself. In other words, you must love yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, and part of loving yourself uh, is taking care of your body, which many people in this country fail to do. Um, yeah, I wanted to do this on Google. I think it's six out of ten people in this country are fat. Six out of ten people are fat, I think. Let's see. I'll just type in obesity in the United States. United States. Okay, obesity trends. All right. Okay. I know the figure is very large in reference to obesity in the United States. Uh, let me see. Let me type in CNN here. I think they had a figure. 
see. Okay, here we go. Just over one-third of American adults are obese. So that's over 33%. Uh, that's, this is alarmingly high, as they stated here. And he says the U.S. obesity rate will hit 42%. So there's a lot of people in this country that are fat right now. And that that is really sad. But anyway, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. It says, you should, know that you're, you should know that you yourselves are God's temple. God's spirit lives in you. Our bodies is a type of temple of God. Verse 17, if you destroy God's temple, if you destroy your body, God will destroy you. Let me repeat that. If you destroy God's temple, which is your body, God will destroy you because God's temple is holy you yourselves are god's temple so you gotta you have to take care of your body god commands that we take care of our bodies it's very important first corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 to 20 says you should know that your body is a temple for the holy spirit that you receive from god and and that god lives in you so anyway, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you should know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit that you receive from God and that lives in you. You don't own yourselves. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God paid a very high price to make you his, so honor God with your body. And uh, many Americans today are not honoring their bodies uh, with their flabby tummies and, and looking like uh, they're balloons. Okay, And uh, we need to all work on taking care of ourselves and exercising I know there's extenuating circumstances at the time, but once those extenuating circumstances are over, we must get into a good exercise program and lose weight. If we need to go to a club or we need somebody to motivate us to lose weight, do it. Do whatever you have to do. You'll feel better. You'll feel better about yourself, and, and you will, um, for those who are believers anyway, uh, you will glorify God or honor God by taking care of your body. But you, how can you say you love yourself if you don't want to take care of your body? You don't love yourself, and if you don't love yourself, how can you love someone else? How can you love someone else fully and completely if you don't love yourself? Just think about that. Okay, um, eating too much can cause you to turn away from God. I don't know if many people realize that, but it's true. And I'm going to refer to some information I have here about being a glutton. Being a glutton means, it says, a verb meaning to be vile, frivolous, gluttonous, worthless, to despise. It describes an especially serious corruption of character in a worthless, gluttonous son. And if we turn to that scripture, uh, it's in Deuteronomy 21, verse 20. It describes a son, even though this can be applied to anyone, but if you notice, it's in the context of rebellion. Deuteronomy chapter 21, starting in verse 20. says, they must say to the leaders of the town, our son is stubborn and refuses to obey. He does not do anything we tell him to do. He eats and drinks too much. So in the context of being stubborn and refusing to obey, 
this individual, this rebellious son, eats and drinks too much. So that right there tells you that eating and drinking too much can cause you to sin. And in Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 20, says, Don't make friends with people who drink too much wine and eat too much food. So you shouldn't be around people who are drunkards and people who just eat too much. That's going to be a bad influence for you. It says, Those who eat and drink too much become poor. They sleep too much and end up wearing rags. So this this is some good wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. God himself is telling you through the written word here that those who eat and drink too much become poor. You're always complaining about, hey, we don't we don't have this kind of money, we don't have this kind of money. If if a husband is married to a wife that eats too much, it affects him and affects the entire family. And the money uh, can be affected as far as the income level. The, the wife does not want to, to help the husband out with uh, his responsibilities. If, if the husband has a, a business at home, and and uh, sure, if the wife is working and she comes home and she has nothing else to do, she's looking at television and, and looking at four or five, six hours of television, and she can do that, she can certainly help her husband out. But anyway, that, that's an example, and it, it can be the other way around. A husband can be lazy, too, and, and, and not do what he should do to help his wife out. It can, be, it can go both ways. But the point of this scripture is that those who eat and drink too much become poor. They sleep too much and end up wearing rags, and this can affect a family. It can affect a marriage. One person not doing their job and eating and drinking too much, it can be drinking too much or eating too much, can affect the other person. Remember, a husband and wife are interdependent upon one another. Whatever the wife does affects the husband, whether it's positive or negative, and whatever the husband does affects the wife, whether it's positive or negative. Okay? Because you are one. You're one flesh. All right. Now, this applies to a son, but it also can apply to anyone. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 7 states here that a smart son obeys the laws, but a son who spends time with worthless people brings shame to his father. And I think the, uh, yeah, in the, another version, the um, ESV version, English Standard Version, it states, the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. And that can apply to anyone, but you shouldn't be around people to eat too much because it influences you the wrong way. You have to stay away from people like that. That think their life is about just eating all the time. And I don't have too much time, but I want to cover coveting because certain people may be confused about what that means. And then I'm going to end with this beautiful story about this individual that gives, not just on Christmas, but any other day. And then I'm going to pick up on what I wanted to talk about uh, next week to complete this Bible study. Okay, so where are we at here? Yeah, I wanted to get into the definition of coveting here. Um, Exodus 20, verse uh, 16 states this. I'm reading this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, you must not tell lies about... Oh, no, that's not it. Um, 
Here we go. Exodus 20, verse 17, in the, English, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Uh, this is the definition of coveting. You must not want to take your neighbor's house. Why? Because your neighbor's house is not your house. You must not want his wife. Why? Because someone else's wife is not your wife. And you must not want his men and women, servants, or his cattle. Any, any, someone else's possessions is not your possessions. That kind of desire is wrong. You must not want to take anything that belongs to another person. That is the heart of coveting, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, coveting in the wrong way. But you can covet a lust in the right way. All right? And there's a scripture that proves that here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. And then another scripture I'm going to quote here. How much time I got left here? Five minutes. Not too much time here. Ah, never have enough time. And these things that happen are examples for, for us. These examples should stop us from wanting evil things. Coveting in the wrong way is wanting evil things, like those people did. And it's talking about, in this particular chapter, it's talking about the, the lusting that that uh, the assembly of Israel did in the days of uh, Moses. And it's saying that these examples should stop us from wanting evil. Wanting evil things is coveting or desiring in the wrong way. But... There's one scripture that I know most people don't follow. <laughs> Proverbs, or um, yeah, Psalm 19, verse 10. Let's turn there here. This is what we all should desire or covet after in the right way or lust after. And that's what coveting means, lust. There's nothing wrong with desiring your own wife. Desiring what's yours, but when you don't, when you desire something that's not yours, that's when it's in violation of that tenth commandment. Psalm 19, verse 10 it says right here, His teachings are worth more than pure gold; they are sweeter than the best honey dripping from the honeycomb. And it states here that um, it says the Lord's teachings are perfect, and in, in, in Psalm 19, verse. The Lord's teachings are perfect. They give strength to his people. The Lord's rules can be trusted. They help even the foolish become wise. The Lord's laws are right. They make people happy. So the Lord's laws make people happy. The Lord's commands are good. They show people the right way to live. Learning respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. The Lord's judgments are right. They are completely fair. His teachings are worth more than pure gold. They are sweeter than the best honey dripping from the honeycomb. And let me look at Another translation here. Yeah, in another translation, the King James Version, I guess they knocked that word desire out of the easy-to-read version, but in the King James Version, Psalm 19, verse 10, more to, more to be desired they are than gold. This is God's words in, in his law. Yes, much more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's what we should be desiring, uh, ladies and gentlemen, much more than pose earthly possessions is God's words and God's way of life and, and how to live. That's what we should be desiring much more than anything. So, how much time do I have left? Let me, just two minutes, <laughs> let me go ahead and quote uh, the highlights of this article about uh, Christmas Day for Uncle Pete. Uh, year-round Santa Claus makes holidays special for hunters of less fortunate. I mean, he does it year-round. This is by Manya Bracker, the uh, Tribune, uh, uh, not Tribune, <laughs> a Tribune reporter. 
December 24, 2010. It says, Uncle Peter arrived at Marillac Social Center like Santa Claus. He didn't wear a red suit, and he didn't ride a sleigh. His sweatshirt said, Valparaiso Grandpa, and he was driving a minivan. But like Santa, Uncle Pete came bearing a bundle of gifts. And like Santa, he remains a man of mystery to most people he meets on his rounds, which on a chilly December morning brought him to this early childhood care center on Chicago's west side. At 88, Uncle Pete is still spry, though he hobbles and some days his arthritis bites when he's lugging bags of toys and treats. As volunteers pluck packages out of a giant black bag, Uncle Pete proudly watched the children wriggle on the rug and rattle their packages until his eyes rested on a five-year-old who sat empty-handed and forlorn. You're coming up real soon, he assured her, patting her on the back with a trembling hand. Two minutes later, Uncle Pete delivered a pile of presents into her arms, and her worry dissolved into a smile. When teacher Tisa Williams spontaneously threw her arms around him in thanks, Uncle Pete's eyes welled up with tears. This is what it's all about, he said in a broken whisper. Leading up to Christmas, Uncle Pete diligently collected toys, coats, and the names of children who should receive them. Naughty or nice, it didn't matter. Uncle Pete knew they deserved Christmas. He's our own secret Santa all year round, said Maureen. Halligan, Executive Director of Marillac Social Center West Side Collaborative that offers a shelter for women and children, senior senior uh, center, and early childhood education. So I'm going to, unfortunately, I need to pick up on this next week, ladies and gentlemen, but Uncle Pete is an individual that cares for people every day and gives every day, not just on Christmas. So that's the point I was trying to make. So I'll finish up on this next week. May God bless and keep you. And may you have a pleasant work week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 